You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Jewish Matters podcast. Tonight we are in our series on finding our purpose in life, and tonight we're going to be talking about career choices. So they say that uh, Mozart, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, at four years old, five years old, was already playing like a virtuoso, composing pieces. And it was very clear where his life would go. His father was a composer. His sister was also a gifted piano player, but he excelled way beyond all of them. And his life path was set, and as we know, he became the great Mozart. There are such stories of child prodigies. Uh, the great Vilna Gaon, the great rabbi of Vilna, Eliyahu uh, Hagon, he became a Talmudic prodigy at a young age, and they report by 10, 11 years old, he'd studied the entire Talmud, and uh, already it was clear where he would go with his life. And so some people just have this innate ability. It comes out at a young age, and their path is laid out for them. Their path is set. And it seems almost like an intuitive, inherent uh, ability that they have. Now, we'll talk about the nature versus nurture debate. Uh, that will come up. But um, this question of, and the question we're going to ask is, how does a person know what path they should take? How do they know what their career should be? And is it something innate within them? Is it something we choose? Is it something that should be chosen for practical purposes? Is it something that should be told, chosen based upon inherent abilities? So we'll approach all of these questions from a Jewish point of view. But first, let's talk about work in general. So in the Torah, we start out with the story of Adam and Eve. And even though it says they were put in the garden uh, to work and to guard it, there's a debate whether that work was purely spiritual work and the fruit was simply hanging on the trees for them to pick with nothing to, that they didn't have to do anything or make any effort. And even if they did uh, before they ate from the tree, it's, uh, it was without effort because afterwards it says the punishment given to Adam for eating from the tree that they wasn't supposed to was through the sweat of your brow you will eat bread. So it was only after that point that work became such a difficult endeavor. And if you think about it, we spend most of our waking lives working, right? I don't know. Uh, it's a heavy thought to think about. And, but that wasn't the original intention. The original intention was them in the Garden of Eden, uh, in a divine sphere, actualizing their spiritual potential. And there are many sources that tell us, really, uh, the purpose of our lives is to serve the Almighty. Now, that's very vague as well. Uh, what does that mean? How do you do that? And in what way? Torah study is certainly part of that, but you're already on this talk, so uh, you're already involved in Torah study, at least tonight, so that's a good thing. Um, so 
we'll get back to how do we find our godly, fulfilling our godly potential, and how does that work with our livelihood, with our jobs, with our careers. And are they two separate things? Are they both in the same? But uh, so we have this uh, uh, destiny of man or this, uh, this um, reality of the world that we have to work. And at the same time as this was not the ideal, we have what I would call a, the Jewish work ethic. So what is the Jewish work ethic? So the rabbis and the ethics of the fathers tell us Yafet Torah in Derech Eretz. The Torah with Derech Eretz literally means the way of the land is good, is beautiful, is, prob- is right. Uh, so balancing one's spiritual life and one's work life. And it says because being involved in both of them will keep a person away from transgression, will keep a person away from doing wrong. And the sad reality is that even though we say, oh, I wish I never had to work, and, well, I was going to say, I wish I never had to go into work. Today, uh, a lot of people aren't going into work, but we're working from home, which already um, does make it easier, but for some. But imagine if you didn't have to work. You know, people win the lottery, and most people can't handle it. Most people... Uh, wind up veering off in their lives, not actualizing their potential, not being fulfilled. And as we know, many of the big billionaires are not leaving the majority of their fortune to their heirs uh, for a good reason. So even though we say, oh, wouldn't it be great not to have to work, and people who retire have this dilemma, okay, what do I do now? Right? So... Uh, Torah with the way of with work is a good thing, according to the rabbis. And you find it in the Psalms as well. King David says, Psalm 128, verse 2, If you eat from the food of, fruit of your hands, you are fulfilled. You're happy and it's good for you. So there's also a sense of uh, satisfaction when we earn our own livelihood, when we are independent, when we are creative, there's a certain self-fulfillment that comes out of that. And that's also viewed as a good thing. That's also part of, as we said, the Jewish work ethic, if you will. So work can be a good thing. So what do I do? How do we choose? So the beginning, the place to begin is... uh, Interestingly enough, the career counseling for Jewish sources is found in a 12th century work, Chovot Talavavot, The Duties of the Heart, Rev. Bachia Ibn Pekuda. And he already says back then, very interesting thing, he says that if you have a certain temperament, if you find that a certain activity fulfills you, he said that's a sign of what you should be doing. And we'll get to what, you know, what, what those different models might be. But he said, uh, if you view it from a spiritual point of view, the idea is that the Almighty has given us certain abilities, certain strengths, 
certain skills and certain um, pleasures that actualize us, certain tasks that give us fulfillment. And so the first step is to try and identify what are those elements within us and to locate, to kind of identify them as Mozart did at a very young age of the Vilna Gaon. Now, Grandma Moses, it said, who became one of the great uh, American painters, uh, first half of the 20th century, she started painting when she was 73 years old. Uh, as a child, she loved to paint, but her mother was much more practical, taught her back then, I guess, late 19th century. A woman had to learn how to run a home, uh, her husband passed away, and she didn't know what to do. So she'd spent her whole life right, keeping, keeping, being a uh, housekeeper. Uh, well, not a housekeeper, but a, a uh, uh, kind of running the home. And uh, a real housekeeper, not in the sense we use it. And then when her husband died, she had lots more time on her hands. And she took up this hobby she had when she was a child and became one of the great American painters. So it might happen earlier, it might happen later. It doesn't always have to be a child prodigy thing, that's for sure. And I mentioned earlier in the first talk that uh, I, uh, in high school, I already, many of my friends already kind of had an idea of what they were good at and of their path and I had no idea and so I took a uh, aptitude test which didn't really give me a better idea um, and in college changed majors all the time. Uh, at one point actually in high school I was good at geometry so I thought in spatial and building things I thought maybe I'll be an architect but uh, that didn't really stick. So different people it's realization, this finding their path can happen at different points in their lives. And uh, many people are second career people. They do 5, 10, 15 years at one job and then after a while they realize this is not for me and uh, find a different path. So, and if you look at graduate schools, there's a certain percentage of graduate students. I know he was in his late 30s went to law school and uh, for 20 years was a very successful lawyer and wound up actually uh, retiring early. So you never know what path, uh, when that path will be discovered. And it's also a lesson that if you're on the wrong path, so we should question, um, is this my path, right? We talked about Abraham who uh, was told by the Almighty to change his life, to leave where he was in order to actualize his true self and purpose. So the duties of the heart says, if you find that you have a certain aptitude for things, that's a sign. And if you're drawn towards something, and as Grandma Moses was towards painting, that's also a sign that uh, it's something that you could cultivate and could do. Um, one of our daughters is a great arguer and my wife always says, you know, you'd make a great lawyer. Not that she should be, we don't push them towards anything, but uh, she saw that skill in her already at a very young age. So how do you figure this out? So there are um, 
many different schools of trying to understand ourselves through our personalities. And I'm, first one I'm going to share with you, um, there's, uh, well, let me mention some of the, the various ones first. So um, you might have heard of the Myers-Briggs, <clears throat> and Myers-Briggs is a little too complicated. There's 16 possible personality types based on four categories, combinations of those. I'm not going to get into that right now, but, and there's even a question, some so sociologists question whether it's pseudoscience and hasn't really been backed up by proper, um, by proper data. But what's good about these systems is it gets us, even if the system itself is not perfect, it gets us to start thinking about what are my strengths. There's a book called Strengths Finders, about 15 years ago came out, became very popular in the corporate world, where they started to HR departments would uh, you know, do corporate retreats and have people think about their strengths, their weaknesses, what direction uh, they're most productive in, because they found that was a good investment in their, in their staff and their labor. So, um, so there are many such schools. I'll share you a Torah-based one. Uh, this is uh, formulated by one of my teachers, Rabbi Tom Meyer, and um, it's based upon a three-part view of the person. Okay, the three parts of the three abilities are the thinker, the feeler, and the doer, and those correspond to three parts of the body: the brain, the heart, and the feet, if you will, right? or the feet and the hands, you could say. So let's talk about the, the head, the thinker, okay? Um, and unfortunately, I think as Jews, there is a bias towards the thinker. Uh, I always ask every Passover, the four children, right? The wise, the uh, rebellious, the one who is simple, and the one who doesn't know how to ask, who's the hero of the four children? And most people will answer the wise one. He's mentioned first. We'll see if that's so, okay? Because in the Torah, tam, tamimut, uh, simplicity, purity, uh, seems to be valued over intelligence, okay? That's the real Jewish value. But let's start talking about the head, the thinker. So the thinker is into ideas, uh, likes reading nonfiction, curious mind, wants to understand the world, wants to know how things work, wants to look deeper into things. And those personality types tend to be more introvert. Although one of the professors on my dissertation committee uh, was a very, very much an extrovert. The other two were introverts um, and a very uh, kind of noted scholar. So not necessarily, but they tend to be more introverts than extroverts, okay? Uh, the person who's into ideas, who is uh, the thinker, uh, obviously acad uh, academia is a career path that would work well for them on a more practical level, uh, market analyst, uh, management consultant, where you have to really kind of break things apart. Um, and those type of people can also be analytic on a more personal level, like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, um, wanting to understand human nature and dig deeper into, into people and what they're about. 
the downside of that personality type is that they can be too self-assured because they figure, oh, well, I have the proper understanding and sometimes not listen to others because they think they've got it all figured out. So that's the thinker. Now we go to the feeler, the heart, okay? So this person is often a people person. Uh, they love socializing. They're often an extrovert. And what is the difference between introvert and extrovert? An extrovert uh, gets energized when they're in contact with other people. If you're at a party or you're with a group of friends and after a couple of hours you start feeling like, oh, I'm exhausted, you might be an introvert. If you're energized by it, then extrovert material, okay? So uh, the person who's the feeler, sociable, uh, but also can be into experiential things, meditation, poetry, uh, reading fiction, um, the emotive side, okay? Now, these people also tend to go into helping professions um, because they like the personal contact that comes with it, not necessarily because of the idealism, okay? Um, sometimes they are pleasers because they have, they don't want to upset the other person. So the downside can be that they're too much of a pleaser, they're too projected onto others to get their sense of self, and um, they can avoid confrontation and not be direct. Uh, often these people can be good mediators because they're good at feeling where other people are at and understanding that and kind of being in that place. So, and also good at moving people because emotionally they can connect to them and, uh, and build up trust and breed trust in other people. So that's the heart, that's the, uh, the feeler. The third category is the doer. So the person who is the doer is action-oriented. They love doing projects. So now the other thing to point out is that most people are not totally one or totally the other, and most people are a combination of different elements of the thinker, the feeler, and the doer. I definitely have that thinker side, love books, as you can see, uh, love debating ideas, discussing ideas, sometimes in a way that's way too theoretical for my family at the Shabbat table. I'll, I'll uh, share a piece of Torah and my wife will be, okay, make it, how does that relate to the human condition? Because she's the feeler. She's connection, relationship, people. How does that relate to people? So, but at the same time as I have this thinker side, I have the doer side. Um, I used to, uh, I apprenticed as a carpenter with my cousin when I was in high school. In college, I painted apartments uh, to make money. And I love doing tasks and feeling a sense of accomplishment in doing by building something with my hands, by having something tangible to see. That was the architect side in me. So, um, but of course, you know, if you're Jewish, you're going to be doing it as a white collar architect, not so much. But, and this is important um, to remember that in the Middle Ages, being a craftsman was one of the noblest of professions. It was considered to be an art. It's considered to be a very noble uh, undertaking. Uh, 
and one that was apprentice and skills were learned. So our society, our first world uh, postmodern society tends to have a um, bias away from that. But, uh, you know, the story of the city person who quits their job, moves to Vermont, and uh, actually my cousin did build his house. Um, so you have some people who do kind of recognize that. In Israel, it's uh, interestingly enough not uncommon, even in the Orthodox religious community, that people are plumbers, they're electricians, they are uh, workers. Because in Israel, blue-collar jobs don't necessarily pay so much more than uh, jobs that are more skill-oriented and or manual skill-oriented. And um, after all, the Zionist ideal was that Jews should re-engage with the world and with all types of labor, including farming and uh, whatever that labor is. So the doer likes accomplishing with their hands, likes seeing tangible results. Um, they can be in the more uh, white-collar world, they can be a good COO. Uh, they like organizing things. They like they can be a good businessman because they don't get overwhelmed by all the details. Um, and uh, good project manager. These are all things that the doer is good at. And uh, often it can also come with a desire to change the world and to make the world get a better place. The soul side of this nature is uh, tikkun olam, is to want to fix the world and to be idealistic, champion causes, and, uh, or, and help others. The downside is that the doer, if they're not channeled in that direction, can be overly preoccupied with success, with accomplishment, with becoming a workaholic, uh, because that's how they actualize themselves and feel fulfilled by working. And, um, and if someone from one category plugs themselves into another, if a thinker becomes a businessman, so sometimes they can be very ineffective because they get paralyzed because they abstract and think too much, right? Um, in a sense, uh, President Obama had sides of that. He was more of a thinker. He was a professor. And so he would analyze things and not be as much of a doer. Whereas you had certain presidents like Ronald Reagan, <coughs> who maybe wasn't, uh, you know, the scholarly thinker type. He was an actor before he was governor of California and then president. But people view him as very decisive and as a doer. So sometimes the people who are less the thinkers are better doers because uh, they don't get caught up in abstraction and in overanalyzing things and then not being able to do anything. Uh, the feeler, the person who is the heart, can make a miserable lawyer because uh, how can I go after this person, right? Isn't it uh, mean and uh, cold-hearted to take a person down? even if they did something wrong. So, um, so the feeler would not make a good uh, lawyer, nor would they necessarily make a, be good in analytic job. Okay? Uh, they tend to be the creative type, so they'd make a good artist. Uh, although, you have some artists who were thinkers, like Carl Escher, right? The, he, Escher had these 
uh, mind-bending uh, drawings of stairways that wrap around themselves, very theoretical, very analytic. So we can't also just stereotypically attribute to all artists that they're going to be feelers, right? Uh, a doctor also can be an analytic type. They can be the professor analytic type who enjoys the kind of intellectual challenge of, of, uh, of, of medicine, or they can be the doer type who loves to save the world, right? So if you're a feeler type, if you're a heart type, remember we talked the mind, the heart, and the doer. So the feeler type, the heart, uh, often want the personal contact at work um, and often will go into being a teacher or a social worker. They might pass up the lucrative professions for one which is more meaningful, which fulfills them on their personal level. So these are all things to think about in terms of understanding. And really what we're saying is that to find the proper path, uh, if we start looking at who am I, what are my strengths, what are my abilities, what is my inclination? And here, you know, we can talk about nature versus nurture. Um, and this is an age-long debate. Are these abilities inherent within us and waiting to come out? Or are they learned and are they affected by our environment, right? Mozart grew up in a family of composers. Would he have become the great Mozart if he had not? Interesting question, but one which has really never been answered. And uh, the Maimonides says that there are three dimensions to a person. There is what you're born with. There is what the nurture part, you're brought up, and that makes a very strong impression. And then there's the habit. There's what you kind of get yourself into as an adult and by force of habit becomes part of us. So, uh, and it's probably a combination of all three, of course. And, um, but generally, the Torah does recognize that there is this nature part. Uh, the Vilna Gaon was uh, uh, reported to have said that it's harder to change one personality trait than to study the entire Torah. So it's hard to make ourselves into something we're not. However, with that said, okay, with that said, there are people who take a different approach to this. Um, you know, the Startup Nation, which is the name of the book, his famous theory about why Israel has so many startups is that because Israelis all go into the army, and in the army they kind of foster independent thinking because they want the commanders to make their own decisions out, be able to make their own decisions out on the battlefield, and be able to adapt and be able to, um, to adapt to every situation. So because of that, uh, the theory goes that um, they uh, took that skill and translated it into the startup business world, where they would adapt to the need to different situations and be able to kind of run with it on their own. And uh, the way I've heard it formulated is uh, most people kind of look for the career and then take that career path and fit themselves into it. The uh, the, in a, the entrepreneur looks at the world, sees what is needed, and then finds a way to meet that need, right? So in a sense, you know that if you do meet that need, 
you'll be successful because there'll be a market for what you want. Now, the social entrepreneur would be a similar thing that they look at the world and they say, you know, this is people are hungry and I need to have a system, you know, set up a volunteer organization in order to take care of people who are in need. Um, last year, we had a speaker, Joe Gitler, who came from the United States to Israel and realized uh, like human, what's it called, human harvest, um, all the food that is wasted, uh, he, gather, he gathers, he got a truck, started driving around to catering halls and supermarkets and passing it on to people who are in need. Now he's got 180 trucks and feeds 300,000 people a year, all from seeing a need and a solution to that need. Right? This very clearly for him was his purpose in life. And um, once again, not everyone has that necessarily that clarity or finds that niche in that way. But, um, but what we're saying is that uh, fulfillment in our careers will come if we try and figure out who we are, what are our abilities, and fit those into uh, who we, what, what our professional careers will be. And through that, we'll, we'll be more effective, we'll be more satisfied, and we'll be more fulfilled. So, um, so that's one approach towards it. Now, there are people who combine the two areas of their lives, right? The curse of Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. We have to earn a living. And on the other hand, uh, we talked in our first talk about how really the goal of life is to find meaning and purpose. And that comes through, well, depending upon which category of personality, but on engaging in meaningful things in our lives. And some people are able to combine the two, right? Uh, whether it's in a helping profession like a teacher or a social worker or a rabbi or a therapist where they feel like they're helping people, they want to help people, they're able to do it in their professional lives. And some people will do it outside of their professional lives. Their nine to five is how they earn a living. And then they find outlets to volunteer, to cultivate uh, things within them which give them satisfaction, which fulfill them, which actualize their potential. And the two don't necessarily uh, always correspond. They're not necessarily always the same thing. And that's okay. Uh, every person has their own path and everyone has to figure out how to sort out this puzzle. And I often have people come to me and say, you know, I'm not satisfied in my job and it's very, very challenging. And, you know, I try to inquire, you know, are you ready or seriously thinking that you would make a career change? Is, are you, you know, so dissatisfied that that's something that you uh, are thinking about doing? Or, and if not, then try to find meaning in your job, whether it's saying, okay, I learn a livelihood so that I can give to charity or support my family. And so that makes it inherently meaningful. Or through my personal relationships at work, find meaning in that. Um, or with, outside of their job, find ways in which I can give back, find ways in which I can cultivate uh, hobbies or skills which will give me fulfillment 
or which will be meaningful for my life. So the two don't necessarily have to correspond, the livelihood and the meaning in our lives. But whichever path we take, we always have to remember and think about the fact that uh, and ask ourselves, am I living to eat? Am I living to eat or am I eating to live? Okay. Am I living to eat or am I eating to live? And if our job takes over our lives, then um, living to eat and I don't have time for other things which are purposeful and meaningful or am I eating to live? Is the job just a, uh, uh, a path, just a uh, enabler to get me towards larger goals in my life? And uh, the story is told of uh, a fisher, who, a guy who was fishing, and uh, you know, someone from the States goes on vacation to South America, and he sees the guy fishing, and he's pretty good, you know, he's bringing a lot of fish, somehow he's got the right combination of the hook and the worm, and you know, he says, what do you do with all those fish? He said, oh, I sell them. I said, oh, yeah, well, I only see you out here a few days, a few hours of the day. He said, well, you know, I fish, I get what I need, I go to the market, I sell it, and then the rest of the day I'm with my family, enjoying watching the sunset, you know, enjoying life. And he says, yeah, but, you know, with all those extra hours, don't you realize with your skills, with your you know, approach, you could have other fishers, you know, first of all, work a little longer, you'll have some extra money, start hiring other guys, and they'll start fishing more fish, and he said, yeah, and so then, so then what? He said, well, once you, you know, have that income coming in, then you'll be able to buy a boat. Yeah, so then I'll have a boat. He said, well, then you'll be able to go out and get even more fish and make even more in the market. And he said, okay, and then what? He said, well, then you reinvest that into more boats. You grow your business, make more. And the guy said, okay, so then what do I, and then what? He said, well, then you'll have made a lot of money. And so the guy says, yeah, okay, so then what do I do with that money? And he says, well, you retire and you enjoy life. And of course, the answer to that is, well, uh, I can enjoy life now and not work so hard. So um, uh, the first job I had in high school, I worked, uh, our neighbor had a photo studio and uh, uh, I worked there on vacations and I always remember he had his own business and he said to me, Jonathan, remember this, he said, uh, I work hard, but I also make sure that I have my time for myself, for my family. And he said, I had a good friend and he had his own studio and he always worked, was always churning out more business, making more. He was saving up so that he could retire and he and his wife could travel the world. And he said, that the poor guy, uh, one week before he was set to retire, sure enough, the strain and the pushing got to him, he had a heart attack and he passed away. And that always really struck me. It always really stayed with me because uh, it's very easy to get sucked in to the job, to the work, and life is not our jobs. It's not an end in itself. It's a way to earn a livelihood, uh, if 
you, we do have the blessing to combine your meaningful and your work. But even then, uh, it can't take over everything. Even giving to others, one has to learn and be able to give to oneself. And so uh, the goal in life is to find that balance and to figure out how we can have time to actualize our personal spiritual selves, how we can have time to help the world and give to others, and time for our families, time for our personal selves. And we talked about the three natures, the three different types, different personality types, the thinker, the feeler, and the doer, about trying to find who we are in order to plug that into what we do to find fulfillment and, and be successful and uh, build on our skills. And we also found, talked about uh, that Judaism does view work as a positive thing, but really the ultimate goal is to serve the Almighty. And uh, hopefully this can give us some insight into how to find that balance in our lives. And um, if anyone would like to talk about it more on a personal level, individually, please reach out to me. Have a good evening, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, Jewish Matters podcast. On Wednesday, we'll be talking about extraordinary Jewish personalities, and we'll be talking about Yitzhak Rabin, uh, the peacemaker. Next Sunday, we'll be starting our next series, which is the series in Jewish spirituality on Kabbalah. So join us for that as well, and have a good evening.